Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one last plot holes and gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steve and Izzy Sven Olthorsen may be best known for his acting career that spans nearly 40 years. However, before that, he was also a champion bodybuilder, powerlifter, and is still a black belt in karate. The six-foot-five specimen of a man burst onto the scene when he played the hammer-wielding henchman Thorgrim in Conan the Barbarian, followed by memorable roles such as Sven in The Running Man, the demon and dragon The Bruce Lee Story, gunfighter Goodson in The Quick and the Dead, security guard Lafours in the Kevin Smith classic Mallrats, King Borna in Cole the Conqueror, the scene-stealing warrior Tigress in Best Picture winner Gladiator, and easily my favorite role of his, Lieutenant Michael Tank Ellis in the short-lived television series Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, as well as smaller roles in stunt work in Hollywood blockbusters like Predator, Overboard, Lethal Weapon, Twins, Last Action Hero, Eraser, uh, 13th Warrior, End of Days, Some of All Fears, and many more. Uh, over 150 credits to his name. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sven Thorson was kind enough to join us here on Everything I Learned from Movies. So without further ado... Mr. Sven Thorson. All right, check, check. Mr. Thorson, are you there? I'm still here, boss. Excellent, excellent. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for this interview. I I've been a huge fan for many years, so this is this this I'm just an amazing feeling, actually. <laughs> you um, are my husband's hero, by the way. Uh, I, I feel. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, I feel sorry for you if you're a fan of mine. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve's no. been a, a fan of you for, for a long time. So my husband here is Steve. I'm Izzy. So it's Steve and Izzy. Yep. yep. Very, very easy to remember. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I'm ready, guys. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, I guess first off... Um, if you wouldn't mind just letting us, letting us know uh, where you grew up, uh, what your family life was like. Uh, how you got into Yeah, just how, how you how became amazing. <laughs> okay, so if you, talk, if you talk one at a time, it's easier for you to understand. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah, there might be a little bit of a delay, too. But um, I guess if you wouldn't mind, um, uh, you, you seem basically watching you on film and reading about you on the Internet and stuff, you seem like the most interesting man in the world. Uh, basically, just kind of want to start off oh, with... Oh, shit. <laughs> you can't always, uh, you know, you can't always believe what you read on the internet, though, so I'm just glad you're here to kind of okay. just let us know okay, how so, you started. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> there's a delay on it. So anyhow, I'm born in uh, Copenhagen in the Kingdom of Denmark in 1944. 
I was born uh, three months too early because my father was was uh, going underground because the Germans had occupied Denmark oh. and they did that for five years. So September 19th, the Germans took all the police officers of Denmark and put them in concentration camp. My dad uh, escaped from that and he went underground and he took a name of a famous a famous uh, a weightlifter that was an Olympian in the 20s and he took the nickname Sven Olsen and that uh, when I was baptized uh, because they were not sure I would survive my mother got in, in, in shock when my dad disappeared so five days later I was born and I was baptized uh, very fast and my first name is based on uh, my father's nickname, Sven Ole, Sven Olsen. Oh, wow. So I grew up uh, in, Cop in Copenhagen. I had a strict upbringing. Uh, my dad was, as I told you, a police officer. And my mom, uh, you worked on different jobs. It was hard time after the war. So the upbringing was very strict. Very early in my age, in my my living at home, when I was about 16, I asked my mother to change the food she gave me because I was not sat satisfied eating, you know, meat and sticks and potatoes and sauce. So uh, I demanded to be able to be served fish and chicken and salad and vegetables. I was very into, uh, you know, how my body was functioning and I have studied a lot about it. And then about when I was 19, my cousin, Vaughn, talked about a bodybuilding gym that had opened in Copenhagen, and he'd been there a few times, and he wanna, you know, introduce me to it, so I went with him, and uh, him and his friend had fun with me because they'd been there for a little while. So I went through uh, many hours of weight training, all the different machines and dumbbells and barbels, so when I was supposed to leave the place, it was on second floor in a private home, I tumbled down the stairs, they had to carry me down. Because my body was responding, uh, you know, very violently. So for a whole week, I had to stay in the bathtub with ice cubes. I was so good. And I said to myself, I had done all kind of different team sports, handball, football, soccer, you know, uh, track and field and stuff. So I said to myself, wait a minute, this is, this is what I want to do. Because I was in those years very shy. I was told very often by my mom, I was a piece of shit. I should never have <laughs> been born. Uh, you know, so my self-confidence was very low. So now I found weight training. I, I became fanatic. When I started out uh, hitting the weights, I was 83 kilograms. And uh, I made a decision that I would be the strongest and the biggest in the world the world had ever seen. So in 10 years, I added on up to 142 kilograms. I added on almost 60 kilograms, which is 140 pounds, to my height. I was 6'5", already when I was 13. Okay. So I had this vision for 10 years where I was completely fanatic that would be so big that one day I died 
my friends will lift the coffin, the bottom will go out, they roll, look down and sit. Jesus, he was big. <laughs> so that was my vision. Then uh, in doing those years, I also uh, started doing some powerlifting. I did some martial art. We hired the world champion in martial arts who comes to Denmark for three years with his family. So I became a private student of him. And after three years, I became a black belt. And in the beginning, when I was graduated, they were all laughing because I was a big guy, 140 kilogram or more. But in the end, I became a black belt and uh, then later on champions in Denmark uh, many times and in Europe as well. Uh, all those all, also very good in my, 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 my youth when I was 21, I decided to have my own business. So I went to Greenland, I worked for two years there, and the money is there, it's tax-free, it's owned by Denmark. If you work on Greenland for two years and one day, the tax money you've been paying, you get back, and I could start my own gym. In 1972, I opened the Sporting Health Club, and over the years, I invited all the bodybuilding stars to come to uh, Copenhagen. Frank Zane, Franco Colombo, Mike Mensa, uh, Kalman Skalak, uh, etc., etc. And one day I got a phone call from a, a cinema in town who had got hold of pumping iron. Yeah. And they wanted to do a deal, deal with me to invite Arnold to uh, Copenhagen for the premiere of the movie. But then they pulled out because it was too expensive for them, so I took care of that and invited Arnold to Denmark. And we had great success with his movie. The sport from bodybuilding was my gym and two or three others' gym. But uh, in a few years, because Arnold re recommended me to starting Danish Bodybuilding Federation, we had 300 clubs all over Denmark, and the sport became huge. Yeah. And also, also based on that, I was later on uh, with martial art in Los Angeles, and I have, of course, I called up uh, Arnold and I hanged with Arnold for a few days, <coughs> and he lived in those days in Santa Monica, and he uh, <coughs> wanted to go and visit John Milius, who was writing Conan the Barbarian, and uh, I went with John, and when John saw me. He was so impressed by my, by my size, and later on, when I was introduced by LA Times, and they interviewed John Medius, he called me the last Viking with a PhD, <laughs> which was a nice uh, uh, thing of him to say. So he said, give me a good Viking name. I have this big character, give me a good name. So I said, what about Thorgrim? I said, that's great. So a year later or so, I got a phone call from John and say, I'm in Spain, I'm shooting Conan the Barbarian. Bring down 10 of your big friends <laughs> and uh, you can work down here for six months. And I did. I made a photo session, all my friends, weightlifters, track and field, shot putters, javelin guys, and etc. And when we came down there, uh, based on all the photos I've been sending to John in Spain, John had given give the team from Denmark uh, you know, the animals. And there was 10 American stuntmen, 10 Danish stuntmen, and 10 Spanish stuntmen. And I spent seven months in Spain on 17 different locations and had a ball. Yes. Every, uh, lunch, every lunch, they served uh, five dinner menus, 
uh, to the cast and the crew. They serve wine and cheese and oats uh, and, uh, and wine and cheese and fruit. And I said to myself, wait a minute, this is heaven on earth. You're playing cowboys and Indians during the day and then they serve there as a king. And of course, uh, we all got a little tipsy during lunch. So that was a lot of food fights, a lot of fun. And uh, we, create, we created a great uh, friendship, me and Arno. I was teaching him martial art. Um, and uh, we were exercised, uh, you know, every day and stuff. So, um, in 1985, on my 40th birthday, I made a decision of, I have done enough in Denmark. I was the best in powerlifting, best in martial art, best in bodybuilding. <laughs> and uh, I became a public uh, person, me and my wife was public uh, property almost. So our privacy was totally gone. So on my birthday there, I said, you know, I want to move to California. So six months later, we uh, had sold my business, sold our houses, put all our stuff in a big container, 20-foot container. <laughs> and we now stood in uh, Los Angeles. And the only person, person I knew in Los Angeles was Arnold. So I called up Arnold and said, you know, I'm in town. What about a cup of coffee? He said, sure, come to uh, Griffith Park. I'm shooting uh, Commando. I said, okay. So I went up there and Joel Silver, the producer, was so astonished by my size. So he approached me very fast and said, you know what? I would like to have you in the movie and run around with a gun and say out and fall down trees and stuff. Can you do that? I give you $20,000 for that. You have to be a member of Screen Actors Guild, and it is a social security number. So I went to Screen Actors Guild. I could prove I have done out of Denmark, Conan the Barbarian uh, in Spain, Conan the Destroyer in Mexico, and Red Sonja in Italy, all with Arnold as a star. And I gave them my Danish social security number, and I was in the business. Nice. So recently, uh, here a few years ago, I wrote a book called Strong Man in Hollywood. And doing research about my past, I realized I have done over 160 productions in film and TV. And then I was spent 30 years in Los Angeles, 30 years where I worked constantly, all the time, but I never felt I worked. I felt it was fun. They paid you to play cowboy and Indians and <laughs> fall and you know have a few lines here and there. So I never saw myself as an actor. I saw myself as a guy, based on his physical skills, were able to fill certain parts. Excellent. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if so, you were ever uh, afraid yeah. of being a typecast or anything of that sort, but it sounds like you weren't looking for like leading man roles or anything of that sort. Just, uh... But that was never my attention. I never yeah. saw it as a career. I saw it as a job. That was easy. <laughs> Even though it was long hours and stuff, I never looked for that. Like Arnold is very ambitious, you know. I was just happy I had a job because the purpose of going to Los Angeles for me and my wife <clears throat> was just to hang on the beach and do nothing. <laughs> I retired actually, so by chance, uh, 
øh, har endet op i det movie business. <coughs> Excellent, excellent. Um, well, one of my uh, my favorite uh, productions you were part of, uh, of course, was in, uh, I guess, 86, 87. It was the Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Um, I love sure. your... Sure. Uh, did you enjoy being part of like a, like a TV series as opposed to a film and actually having, like, I guess, some more, more speaking roles and stuff like that in the late 80s? No, so actually, the, the Captain Power situation was based on um, another actor friend of mine, Robert Davy. He was in James Bond, uh, amongst other movies. Mm-hmm. He had recommended me to the people of Captain Power that he knew this big guy that could kind of move around and say a couple of lines. So I did a pilot for them. And uh, they told me that, you know, you're not going to be cast if you're going to be a TV series. So I was happy with that. Meanwhile, Based on my wife was uh, working out uh, Stallone's people and Stallone himself, I got acquainted with Stallone, and he offered me a job in Rambo, the third Rambo, and he wrote a part for me in Rambo. And then uh, suddenly Captain Power came back to me and said, we want you now, we can't find anybody. So in those days I had a female uh, agent, Nancy Rainford, so to say no to Stallone in a kind of fine way, I asked Captain Power for the sky. You know, hire my wife, I want two cars, I want a five bedroom apartment, I want to have a big a private uh, dressing room with a pool table and a poker table and a television and <laughs> a, a refrigerator and a couch and all kind of stuff. Yeah. Hoping they will say no because I want to, I want to work the sly. So they came back to say yes. <laughs> now I had to go to Sly, and I think Sly was a little pissed off because oh. he had put a lot of effort into having me in his movie. But I thought that you know, twenty-three episodes could give me education as an actor yeah. because every week there's a new script. So I went up there with with, with the wife and the kids and stuff. And the first day on the set, all, they all came to me, all the producers said, Jesus, Lord, your, your agency is a tough fucking cookie. And I said, <laughs> I told her to be nice to you guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> so now uh, my deal was so good, so the lead guy, uh, Timmy, uh, you know, he had one little shitty car and he had a little shitty place to, to stay. He was kind of pissed off because he was the star. <laughs> But they were nice enough to uh, accommodate him and give him a big, bigger car and you know have a you know bigger dressing room and better you know better hotel room or whatever. But I had a ball up there. I was up there for seven months and I learned to become uh, you know quote unquote an actor based on every week a new script and all that stuff. So it was a, a fun time. Excellent. Um- in Toronto. In Toronto, Canada. Yeah, yeah, nice Canadian production. Yeah, uh, like I said, I have all the episodes here. I just love the show. I think it's really ahead of its time. Um, I can imagine, like, the cost of production and stuff was kind of the major reason it didn't really last longer. No, what what happened was that, you know, it's the first interactive television show ever. It was very far ahead of its time. But then there was issues with Mattel. 
the toy company who financed the whole thing yeah. because they got complaints from the parents that they taught kids how to shoot because you could buy a different toy, you could shoot the screen and stuff. Yeah. So they, so Mattel pulled out based on that because parents were complaining about you were teasing their kids how to uh, kill other people. I can, I, I can see where that might be a concern. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I in those days it, it was it was a big issue. Excellent. So uh, you mentioned uh, like you know having to turn down the role in Rambo Three. Um, are there other roles that you had to turn down that, in hindsight, you kind of regretted, or uh, I, I don't know, like being offered the lead role of Die Hard or something, you know, something along those sorts, and just kind of like no, uh, no, I, I think that's actually the only time I turned down a job because whatever job they offered me, I said yes. Yeah. You know, I worked on uh, Jaws of the Jungle, and uh, there's a scene where an elephant had to piss on me, <laughs> and I said yes to that. I mean, the movie, uh, you know, five minutes, but I had a job. Yeah. So I, I had no uh, no ambitions of being a lead man. I was just happy to have a job. Excellent. Is Do you have like a, a favorite movie that you worked on or a favorite director that you worked with um, well, you know, over the 100 and you know, 200 I, projects? I, oh. yeah, 160 people. You know, I, uh, there's one person I think is the best writer, the best director of all time, uh, is John Milius. Yes. He's the world's best storyteller. So when he told stories, for example, a story like, you know, he shot the winner of the line with, with uh, Sean Connery, Candice Bergen. You know, yeah. I don't know if you're aware of that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. But in, in the movie, he had to hire John Huston, another famous director who was the hero of John Milius. And the day before he's supposed to direct John Huston in his first scene in The Win of the Lion, he went to uh, John's room. And John Huston was lying on his knee and sorting out Cuban cigars on his bed. So John, that was a young man then, was nervous now to uh, direct uh, this famous uh, John Houston. So he's kind of to have a conversation with John. Said, you know, I always like to smoke cigars, but which cigars should I smoke, John? <laughs> and then John Houston reacted and said, Young man, come over here, sit down. I want to tell you a story. Once upon a time, I was in Paris. I was in my room, in my hotel room. I had a girl between my legs. I was under Christian number two, torpedo shape. And I watched the race on television. I put a lot of money in, all my salary from the winner line, on a certain horse. And when the horse won and made me a lot of money, I came in the girl's mouth and I took a puff of my Monte Cristo number two. So that's why, young man, you should smoke Monte Cristo number two. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, man. Uh, all right. Um, so uh, I, I had just kind of a question. Uh, I know, like, most of your roles are kind of smaller roles. Were you, and you mentioned, like, with uh, Conan the Barbarian, you were there for six months, but... With other movies like uh, the the Quick and the Dead or uh, like any of those, were you there just for a week or a couple of days, or were you there for like the entire production? No, the Quick and the Dead 
uh, was uh, based on I was uh, interviewed or went to a casting with Sharon Stone and the director um, Sam Raimi uh, what's his name again yeah Sam Raimi right and as soon as I walked into the room they both jumped up and said to each other I, I told you he's the strongest man in the world <laughs> uh, which I was uh, in 1984 uh, in powerlifting um, so that was my job And I remember the first day I was in my trailer in Arizona, and I was there for three months. There was a knock on my door, and there was Gene Hackman. He said, hey, Sven, my name is Gene Hackman. I heard that you are the world's strongest in powerlifting. I'm a powerlifter myself. And then, uh, you know, we became very acquainted, and he was a real man. You know, sometimes he showed up with a black eye because in the local bar he's been in the fierce fight. <laughs> But nice. on the other hand, as an actor, he was always on the set. Even when other actors or actresses were performing, he was behind camera with his glasses on, with the script, and participated. Gave uh, off-camera lines, supported all the other actors. He was like a mentor for everybody. And in that movie was big names. Yeah. You know, there was Russell Crowe. There was Leonardo DiCaprio, there was Sharon Stone, there was Lance Henriksen. Yeah, great cast. And uh, I played this this Swedish gunslinger, and uh, they had to glue hair by hair a big, big beard on me. <laughs> so I couldn't eat for those fucking three months. I had this shit on my face. Oh. <laughs> and it was hot and stuff. But, uh, for example, Gene Hackman... Uh, because in the movie was an extra, his name was Michael Stone, Sharon Stone's uh, uh, brother, big brother actually. So when I saw him, not knowing who he was, I had this big beard on, I walked out and said, hey, my name is Sven, what's your name? And he said, Michael Stone, I said, that's great, you know. Can I ask you a question? I asked him, say, yeah, because he had this great face, fantastic face, I said, I'm sure you make a lot of money in your face. If not, you should. I think you have a great face. And we became acquaintance. We became friends. So one day, Gene Hackman says to Michael Stone, to borrow Michael, and he was there as an extra. He has paid for his own way there and paid for his own, uh, even though the sister was producing, paid for his own, uh, you know, accommodations. And Gene Hackman said to you, tomorrow I'm going to do such and such. I'm going to take off my gun belt. You have to catch it. I'm going to say such and such. And you should reply such and such. And Michael said to Gene Hackman, yeah, but I can't do that. I'm an extra. I'm not a mem- member of Screen for Skills. He said, what? And then he said, oh, hold on a second. And then Gene Hackman called, hey, Sam, come over here for five minutes. Then Sam Raimi came running over. Yeah, what, what's up? Can you operate Michael Stone here? Because tomorrow he's going to do such and such. Make him a member of Screen Access. He'll operate him, move him to a hotel. Uh, operate his salary. Be sure he gets him. And Sam Raimi, of course, said yes, yes, yes. Because Gene Hackman uh, was speaking. It just shows uh, a man with a big heart, big star, great actor. Yeah. Acted like a, a good colleague, uh, a great man. So, yeah, little story from 
the Quiggum that did. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, another one of my favorite roles is uh, you was uh, LaFours, the uh, security guard in uh, the Kevin Smith movie Mallrats. Uh, how how was that? It was like a, I mean, obviously you were a big intimidating guy, but it was also kind of a physical comedy kind of role. I don't know if that was something a little different for you or. No, so uh, in New Orleans earlier, I had worked on a movie called Hard Target, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, and one of the movie. producers is uh, he's unfortunately dead now. His name was Jim Jacks. Uh, he uh, took a liking to me and another stunt colleague of mine, who was an ex uh, football player from uh, from uh, what the fuck was that from? Uh, I can't recall that. But he he was Samoan, oh, and okay. uh, Papa Pizza is his name. And uh, Jim Jacks to like him to both of us because every night in New Orleans, you go out for dinner, you put on the suit, you dance, you listen to music. New Orleans is a fantastic place with the greatest food of all time, with the greatest blues music you can imagine. It's a vibrant city. It's a fantastic place. Yeah, absolutely. That he was supposed to do a movie like next year called More Rats, and he wanted both of us to be in the movie. And uh, about a year later, I found out that Bob and Pizza was working in uh, in the movie in um, in, uh, in a big uh, American mall in Minnesota yeah, uh, as the stunt coordinator of the whole show. And I said, to, and I called up Jim Jackson in, in Minnesota. Say, hey Jim, this is where what, what's happening. I mean, you promised me and Bob a job. Now we gave Bob a job. What about me? He said, come to Minnesota right away. I have a job for you. So Bob was supposed to play that part. Oh. He had a deal with Jim that he was stunt coordinating the show, and then he should play that part, the security guard with a funny straw hat. So I got that job. And uh, recently, I think a couple of years ago, me and my wife, Birgitta, went to uh, a show called Hollywood Show, where he signed, signed uh, autographs on different pictures. And the pictures I sold most of was more rats. <laughs> they came from, they came from all over the United States with posters and photos. Even though have some of the stories had to sign, so a movie that's a kind of a, is later on it became a cult movie because of the director, uh, Ke- Kevin Smith. Yeah, Kevin Smith. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, uh, as I say, the cult movie now. So to my surprise, I think I sold hundred pictures from that movie. Nice. Yeah. You, Interesting you, enough. You stole the show. <laughs> yeah, I don't say I don't say one word. And I remember when I saw the movie, I was like, oh no, because in those days, I had some problem with the knees. I could barely fucking run. Mm. Uh, later on, I got some surgeries. I got new shoulders, new hips, and new knees. But, but yeah, it's a cult movie, and a lot of fans. And I get died daily on Facebook, you know, because they were supposed to do uh, another more rest with the old cast. And uh, but I don't know it's gonna happen or not. Yeah, yeah, I say there's always rumors about uh, Mall Brats or whatever. Yeah, the the reboot. Mall Brats. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Even the director called me and thought, if I was ready, I said, sure, I would love to. 
but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, maybe soon. Hopefully soon. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah. Did you uh, meet uh, Ben Affleck on set of Mallrats? And if so, did you expect him to become a Stark? <laughs> he was uh, <clears throat> just a young kid, you know. I didn't yeah. really know much about him. Uh, a little shy. Yeah. Uh, you know, nothing particular, even though I thought he was good looking, I thought he looked like <clears throat> the new uh, Gary, uh, Gary Grant or something. I mean, yeah. I think he's a handsome kid, but, you know, he was just a young kid. Excellent. Well, yeah, I just uh, remember when I saw the movie for the first time in theaters, uh, I remember seeing you and going, oh my gosh, Tank is in this movie. That's, that. this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, see, uh, in, I'm from Denmark. And even if the Queen of Denmark goes shopping, I don't stop and ask for an autograph, or nobody does. Or uh, I never ask anybody for an autograph. I'm not astonished by people, uh, people's careers. I'm more interested in, in the people himself or herself are the good people. And in the show business, there's a lot of good people. There's also a lot of bad people. There's very self-oriented. And, yeah. I mean, uh, actors like Mel Gibson, he's such a cool cat. I did two little weapons with him. He always stands in foot line and other actors, you know, they sit by themselves at the trailer. They don't want to hang with the cast and the crew. But uh, meet the great guys, all down to earth. Yeah, that's a, that's a real good way to live. Just ba- later yeah. on, later, Go ahead. Yeah, later on, I had the, the big pleasure of working with Ben Affleck again, where he now became a name in the, in the summer of all fears in Montreal. Yeah, right. And uh, now he was uh, more secure about himself. He was much older, of course, also. And uh, I had a great pleasure. I had a big fight with him in the movie. Yeah. I played this uh, German Nazi. Uh, you know, a bad path, actually. But, but, uh, but he's a great guy. He likes to go out and have fun with the cast and crew at night and stuff. So he's a cool guy. Excellent. Um, you, you mentioned that you worked with uh, Russell Crowe in Quick and the Dead, and then uh, you also ended up working with him again in uh, Gladiator a few years later. Uh, did he have a similar transition? I don't know if he was shy or anything back in the early, you know, Quick and the Dead. No, and... no, no uh, we all talked about how weird Russell Crowe was. In, um, in the Korean the Dead, he was always the part. Yeah. 24 hours a day, he was the part. This priest who used to have an alcohol problem and now was, you know, dealing with demons in himself. So every time you approach him, he was like that character, very much into the character, heavy duty actor, kind of. So when I heard about Gladiator, um, I didn't know that he was playing the lead, but I heard that they were, you know, casting and stuff. So I sent my stuff different places. I sent my stuff to England, to Germany, to Morocco, to California, and all kind of places. But I never heard anything back. And then uh, Lou Ferrigno, at the same time, when we worked out in Ghost Gym, he was so happy he, he got a part in... Uh, in the Gladiator, supposed to play uh, this particular part. 
And then, uh, for some reason, they fired him, even though they had made costumes for him, him, and they had thought all kinds of stuff, prepping for him. He had bragging about it in the gym. Everybody talked about it. Yeah. He should be in Gladiator. So then, uh, I get a phone call from Branko Lustig, one of the producers, who actually won an Oscar for Sinter's List. Yeah. And in, in Sinter's List, the scene where a young kid hides in the uh, you know, outhouse. And that was actually him himself as a kid, Branko Lustig. Oh, so yeah. he called me up and said, hey, everybody's talking about you, Sven. I want you to come to Malta. I want to play this, you want to play this retired gladiator. Please send me your stuff. Say, Branko, I sent my stuff to you guys 10 times. But I'm, I'd like to send it again. So I sent it again, and then they came back and said, we want you. But there's no residuals. So I said to my 18, you know, this is a big job, but no residuals. I mean, I had to work with Tigers and... Yeah. And to be in Malta, a foreign country, and I'm not protected by any means. And if I can work for non residuals because I'm a screen actor skill member. And then uh, they call, she called them back and said, you know, my client wants residuals. And then they told her, nobody in the movie gets residuals. So a friend of mine, Ralph Müller, the big guy who plays a part there also yeah, yeah. as uh, the body of Maximus. I called him up and said, are you getting residuals, Ralph? He said, sure. <laughs> and I said, can you uh, give me uh, give me Russell's phone number? I want to call Russell also. And I called him and said, hey, how are you? They offered me a part, but they said, there's no, that's bullshit. He said, we all get residuals. <laughs> so now my... My, my agent got back to <clears throat> the production and said, you know, my client are going to take a rain check because he wants residuals. So half a day, six, seven hours later, of course he could get residuals. Come, come down here. <laughs> so I went down there and uh, I'm uh, in my... Uh, in the quarters and then Ralph calls from the lobby and says, hey Sven come down here you know this big English actor Oliver Reed sits here he want to meet you so I said okay so I went down there and there was a party going on there was an empty uh, vodka bottles on the table and a lot of alcohol on the table and Oliver Reed was sitting down with big blue eyes when I shook his hand he looked at me like he wanted to fucking kill me <laughs> And he was kind of uh, in a bad mood or something. But then uh, I went to the set. I was called to the set. And uh, when I arrived at the set, I met Brian Kulusti. And he looked at me, he walked around me and said, are you the man for the job? I said, sir, I don't know what the job is, but I keep myself 100%. So yes, I'm ready for the job. Excellent. So okay, hang on a second. Then Ridley Scott came over and he smoking a big cigar. Say, hey, everybody's talking about you. He said, are you the man for the job? I said, I said sir, whatever you like from me, I give you 100%. I'm a team player. I said, good. Yeah. And he said, okay. And then they walked away. 
and I felt like, what the fuck? They don't like me. Uh, I'm too, I'm too old. Uh, what's wrong? So I got an idea. I went by the makeup trailer, and the hair people said, "Hey, my name is Sven. I'm supposed to play Tigris, and we just got asked if you go over here, you should make my hair blonde." Well, why is that? Because you have a helmet on. We can't see your hair. You know, talk to Ridley Scott. Yeah. So they dyed my hair blonde. So the next day I came to the job, they like looked at me with different eyes. <laughs> so now they gave me 30 pages of storyboard drawings of every camera angle from 16 different cameras of my job. Every drawing, every move, every move with the right hand, with the sword, and every move with the left hand with the axe, and back and forward. I mean, it was so overwhelming. So I said, wait a minute, this is too much for me. I can't do that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I thought about, as usual, when I get a big job, I want to get out of it. I can't do it. So maybe I should hit a tree or fall or come up with some excuse. But then we start, uh, for three weeks, we rehearsed the whole, the whole fight with the stunt double. And after 14 days, Russell Crowe came in and uh, want to do one of the scenes with me instead of a stunt double. And they showed him what it was and up and down. And there's about 30 moves. He's running backwards, I'm chasing him. And after that, he screamed at me, threw his uh, sword and, and shielded down and said, you what the fuck, what the fuck, clumsy, fat fuck, I can't do this. And he, he took off. Mm -hmm. And all my colleagues were looking at me, I was looking at them, and said, Sven, you did nothing wrong. But you have to understand, Sven, he carried a big picture on his shoulders, and maybe he was nervous or something. Let him cool off, and we just do the same. Well, we do the same, you do the same again, we have practice. So he, and he came back 45 minutes later, you know, he looks like more friendly. And he said, Sven, let's do it my, my way now, okay? I said, okay. We do, did the same shit. And he said, you see what I'm saying? I said, good. But then later on, he, in the next couple of weeks where we was practicing, in the weekends, he asked me to come by and we practiced in the weekend. And he had barbecue for us that was a part of it. And he turned out to be a super guy. A super guy. Very smart, very clever spending a lot of time every morning when I was stressed and ready to do the fight scene, discussing with we discussed details about the uniform, the weapons, and, you know, he was into it. He became, he became a major actor. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And the, the, I guess the main thing with your role in that movie is you, you were in your mid-50s and apparently there for weeks uh, training and doing all that in the heat of Malta. That's, that's just amazing in Are itself. Are you kidding me? Right I, I was dying. And then uh, <laughs> I had a, a, fun, a fun experience on that movie. There's a scene where he's running backwards. There's about 40 moves. I have a tiger on each side of me. It's a dolly shot. He's running backwards. I'm chasing him. And doing that, I felt something on my uniform, which was kind of heavy. Big shoulder, you know, big metal shoulders. And it was a kind of very difficult and also with the mask. That's why I had to learn it by heart because I could barely see. There was two, only two small holes. So my vision was down. So 
my part I could do in sleep. You know, I didn't have to see, I could do it with closed eyes. So after the scene, the, the production, uh, you know, director's assistant came out, hey, Swin, come in here. So they were in the middle of the arena. They had this uh, tent with the editor sitting there with 24 screens from 24 different cameras. And they stayed to me when they came in, Brank Lustig said, and Ridley Scott, are you okay, Swin? Say, sure, what, what's wrong? Hey, put on camera four. Now I see, we start the scene, and I see one of the tigers, the one on my right side, puts a hand on my, uh, put a, a paw on my, or a paw on my right uh, hip, and one on my, uh, on my right knee, and, and left paw on my, my left uh, hip, and the right paw now on my right shoulder. I said, what? And then they say, yeah, camera six. And then I saw it again from a different angle. And then they all looked at me like, I said, uh, Ridley, I smoke Monte Cristo number two. And I walked out. <laughs> and an hour, and an, hour, on a, an hour later, on a silver tray, it came with a box, 25 Monte Cristo number two. Because they were afraid I would sue them because the tiger had endangered my life. But I didn't feel anything, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's nothing for the world's fun, strongest fun, man, you know? <laughs> fun, fun episode. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's spectacular. <laughs> oh, well, um, you know, uh, basically after, after Gladiator, um, are there, uh, you're obviously doing more like uh, television movies and stuff, but are there other passions in your life that you're going into or like any other driving forces? That... You know, I, uh, all along, in the 30 years I spent in uh, California, Mary Ola hooked up with, an, with a writer there, uh, Dennis Hacking. He wrote Bronco Billy for Clean Eastwood and Dirty Harry and stuff like that. I became a friend of his and we developed 30 screenplays over the years. And some of those screenplays, me and my wife are trying now to make into movies. One of the pictures is called Loud the Deaf Guy, about a war veteran who's a musician who loses his hearing based on an accident. And then uh, now starting teaching uh, deaf kids and creating a band loud to deaf guys <laughs> so it's a, a drama a, a drama you know about a war veteran that's very close to my heart because me and my wife yeah. are helping uh, veterans all over the world recently we were able to get veterans in England for some big housing they have there how many tons of mortar was it 20 tons of mortar, what was it? Ten ton of mortar. So we're trying to, uh, because I think if a country sends out their military to risk their life and lose their limbs, they should be taken care of when they come home. Absolutely. And particularly Amer in particular in America and also the other in other countries, they're not so nice to their veterans. So that's a, a bit that's, that fills a lot of our life. To, try to help the veterans that's wonderful yeah, that's great that's fantastic and definitely definitely a great great service yeah. here <laughs> yeah. yeah um and i also uh i saw on imdb that there's this movie jackie o uh where you basically played 
the, I guess the lead is Count Odin. Care to elaborate yeah. on that? Yeah. yeah, that's based on me and Dennis' idea, based on a true story where Dennis himself, uh, that's why we call it a true Hollywood story. Dennis himself had a friend who on his way to Vegas, uh, based on the car doesn't work, uh, ends up in a little motel where he meets that lady and meets uh, the butler also. So we made it into a screenplay. We don't know if it's true or not. That's why we call it a true Hollywood story. <laughs> uh, but it's based on supposedly uh, a, a meeting uh, where he meets her and, and the butler and uh, she tells the story of what's really happened to her. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> I really can't. Yeah. Call, call, yeah. Call, call Jackie, oh, yeah. So, so it's not, is it, it's not shooting yet, still so just kind of in like pre-production or? Yeah, it's a very, very early state of pre-production. Yeah, okay. very early state. Excellent. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah, thank you so much. So many amazing stories. And as a... There's a million sagas. You know, it's also, <clears throat> you wrote a book called Strong Men in Hollywood, which comes out in English here in, in six months or so. Excellent. And that's full of sag, full of sagas. Oh. You know, behind the camera stuff, all good stuff, all fun stuff. We're going to have mean, to... Uh, I can, you want to have a little story? Oh, yes, we'd love a little story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, so, so here's a little story from Conan the Barbarian. Uh, we are shooting in south of Spain in Almeria uh, the ending scene of uh, Conan the Barbarian the big fight where I get killed and uh, Arnold says to uh, us boys because he hanged mostly with the Danish guys the animals because of language stuff right I mean we yeah. all speak German also yeah. that uh, next week uh a writer from Penthouse Magazine would come down and do an interview and hang with us for a week. And he asked us, please behave, let's make a good impression, it's important for me. I want to have him to tell a good story about, you know, the movie and me and stuff, so please behave. So he hanged with us for a week and he felt he became one of the boys. We treated him nicely, he took him out every night. And he was just one of the boys. That's amazing. So now, the day before he's supposed to leave, because I'm a big practical joker, I said to Anna, can we have a, a little fun with him now? I mean, this is his last night, and we've been behaving a whole week. We're kind of dying to, you know, do some crazy stuff. I said, you know, feel free, whatever you'd like to do. He said, that's okay. So the plan was to take him to Arnold's quarters, which was in three levels, and this big hotel that was full of golfers, Japanese golfers and uh, very quiet area not too many people just golfers so the plan is to get him drunk and then take it from there <laughs> so uh, we start drinking tequila and stuff and he doesn't get drunk but who, get, who gets drunk Arnold gets drunk <laughs> so I lead, I lead him up to his bedroom he pukes a little bit. I put him in bed 
you know, and take his clothes off and put a pocket between his bed and some water and leave the door open. You keep an eye on him, but he's out, totally out snoring like a pig. So, <laughs> so I go down to the, you go down to the guys and say, so he's like, he's okay now. He's leaving. He puked a little bit. He's fine. Then the journalist says, should, should we make a little fun with Arnold? So that's a good idea. I say, what should we do? What about carrying him down in the lobby and put him on the couch down there? So that's a splendid idea. But, you know, to lift a, a, a body that sleeps, that's tough. Yeah. Arnold is a big guy, so after been dropping him a few times, another <laughs> smart head says, what about taking the better part and put it down in the lobby and then carry him down, put him there? Oh, that was a splendid idea, so we did that. And then some other guys say, what about that drawer? What about that lamp? What about that carpet? So now we made a room in the middle of the uh, lobby, like some kind of an happening. Anna was laying there, almost naked, sleeping, snoring. And there was a lamp there, there was a, a, a drawer, and there was this lounging chair and stuff. And we were all hiding. This is about five o'clock in the morning. Now the golfers are waking up. They're all stopping and looking, all Japanese guys, thinking, is it happening? And they're talking, they're taking pictures, and they make noise. So now, of course, Arnold wakes up. And he sits up, and he looks around, and realizes what's happening. And he screams so loud, you can't believe it. He screams, Sven! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> so, you know, when when boys are together, they play Indian and cowboys every day, we are on horseback, we drink for lunch, and we have fun, food for us chasing women and all kind of stuff. You know, so many practical jokes. Another joke was he had a, a German driver who played German music every morning, and we drove with Arnold every morning in his car, me and Eric, a Danish uh, friend of mine, one of the animals. And we were so tired of that music. So uh, Anna had this habit of taking a lot of pictures. And he gave uh, the film in those days to the driver. The driver had to now go have them developed. Three days later, came back with him. And then Arlo was sitting with him and I was going through all the pictures, you know, and be sure they were okay. So, one day I see the camera laying there by itself. There's a whole film in it. I say, Eric, come here, we have to do some stuff. I say, take your pants down. I say, what? It's just your ass. <laughs> so I took 30, 36 pictures of his ass and I put the camera back. So now, three, four days later, Arnold says, hey, amigo, where's my film? Yeah, Mr. Schwarzenegger, we have a mucho problemas. Policia, mucho problemas. Sexuality, mucho problemas. I say, what? Let me see the film. And now there's the film, 36 shots of Eric's ass. <laughs> and then of course, then of course, on one of the pictures, you can see Eric's bell buckle. <laughs> so he, he, he realized uh, it was us who did it. Okay, another little anecdote from the Conan Barbarian and then I let you go that in Madrid mm -hmm. uh, Arnold took a fancy 
to a certain Italian restaurant, Italian restaurant in Madrid, right? Because there was a waitress there he liked. Like he was looking at her and trying to talk to her and stuff. But she just uh, acted, you know, cold and stuff. So after the fourth time going there, uh, I said to Eric, you know, this had to end. I hate this fucking place. Why we eat this Italian food? I want to eat. I want to eat tapas. That's why I live in Spain now. I love tapas and also love how smart the Spaniards are. They have a they have a siesta. It's the hottest. They take a break. How fantastic is that? From two to five, nobody does shit. They just <laughs> goof off. Yeah. So I said to Eric, this has to end. So we went out, we bought some pink letterheads, bought a lipstick, an envelope, and we wrote Arnold a letter. Dear Mr. Arnold, <laughs> let me point out first and foremost, the two goons you hang with, Eric and Sven, I don't like. But you seem to be a very sincere person, very academic and every time I look at you, I think about poetry. Would it be possible that you and I could meet over a cup of coffee and talk about life? And I signed it, and I put lipstick on my lips, and I kissed on the letterhead, <laughs> put it in, uh, in, in an envelope, put a little perfume on it, and also bought some cheap Spanish perfume, and put it under his door. So now, it comes to Saturday, from the middle of the week say, hey guys I want to go to that place I say oh come on Arla, that's terrible the fucking food sucks no I want to go there I say okay <laughs> so now we go there she's not there and he's sitting there you know looking after her and stuff and he gets a little tipsy <laughs> and now he want to talk I say guys can I talk to you I say sure I say by the way you want to talk about the letter you got that says dear Mr. Arnold maybe point out first and foremost Oh, sorry. Uh, that was actually going to be my next question: is if a practical joke had ever come back on you? But <laughs> sounds like you're too no, clever. It, it, no, it, it was no boomerang. No, it never came back. That's why many times, though. But so you mentioned your book is coming out in English. Uh, can is there a place to go to like pre-order it? Uh, we are feeding all that stuff right now. We have it fully translated. Now my co-author is coming down to Spain here. We're going to go through it one more time to Americanize it in a sense. <laughs> and then it probably, it's probably going to be, um, you know, through the internet we're selling it. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Uh, can't wait. Can't, can't wait to read all the stories and sagas in there. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the book because when I was approached about it, I said, that's too early. I want to do that when I'm getting old. But then uh, when the book came out, I was actually in Denmark. I'd been sitting in, in my co-author's uh, kitchen, smoking out the window, uh, having shitty food, uh, 10 hours a day to finish the book. We had a deadline. So I spent three months in Denmark to finish the book. And Sunday, the, the 
newspaper came out and the critics had to now criticize uh, the book. Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous. I said, they probably think I'm uh, this big goon, this big uh, doorman or bouncer or whatever. So one of the most respected from a newspaper called Berlinske Tidene, it's the most academic newspaper in Denmark, gave me five stars. And uh, he said, at the end of the critics, he said, I want to see another book from men. Yeah. And I cried because I wish my mom had, had been alive because she always thought I was a piece of shit. Mm. Well, it well, sounds amazing, and we're incredibly proud of your accomplishment, if that means anything. Absolutely. <laughs> and we can't wait for Volume 2 as well in you know many years actually, from now. <laughs> actually, actually, the first chapter is just one page. Um, back in Denmark, I was supposed to be on a dance and sing show called Showtime. I had to perform with 10 dancing girls, a number called I'm Just a Chicolo. <laughs> and I'm, I'm and I'm rehearsing, rehearsing, and I'm so nervous. So I'm so nervous. So I'm sure I'm gonna sit in my pants of fear. <laughs> so I pack in my belongings an extra pair of pants and underwear in case it happens. <laughs> but then I, I I need some support. So I go to the hospital while my mom is laying there dying, and I hold her hand and I sing the song for her. I'm just a chicolo, anywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing, etc. And then I said, in the end, I said, so mom, you're not going to wish me good luck. Mommy, please wish me good luck. I'm so nervous. Then she opened one eyes and she looked at me and said, you're probably going to fall in your ass, you stupid fuck. <laughs> that's, that's the first chapter of the book. It sits up the book. So uh, weight training uh, really uh, changed my life. I became a different person. I was able to put on a uniform, but I'm still the shy kid. Still though, talking to you just half an hour here before we tried to prep it up, I was uh, close to uh, cancel it because I get nervous, beyond nervous every time I had to do something. I remember also I was hired to do Batman and Mr. Green is a huge guy with a naked upper body with tattoos all over his body. I was doubling him. And uh, before you double somebody, you ask what stunts you're supposed to do. And uh, all the stunts, one of them was a high descending fall. And I don't do heights because I have, I'm, I'm phobic about heights and small rooms and fire and water. I have all the phobies you can imagine in the world. <laughs> And then they come back to me while I'm working, says, well, we can't find somebody. Would you mind do that descending high for us? We're going to pay you double salaries. And no, I told you from the beginning, I don't do high for us. I, have a, I, I can't handle it. So they come back four or five times to keep raising my salary. So at the end, I had to say yes. Otherwise, I look like a super bug. <laughs> so now they send me over to watch other guys that have to do the same thing. I'm supposed to do the next day. And it's about 30, it's, it's one of the big uh, halls, you know, one of the big studios, uh, Warner Bros. Studios, 30 meter up and under the ceiling, they drop you from there with a thin steel cable, 
tied to your back in the harness and there's no protection. So just before you hit the ground, it descends and, and breaks, and, and there's a brick, a brick putting on it so you don't hit the ground. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching all the colleagues doing it, and I'm dying inside. I can't do that. <laughs> so on my way home, the, the thought comes to me now, should I hit a tree and have an accident because I can't do the job? It's, so next day, you know, I'm able to uh, try to raise me up there, you know, and it doesn't go too fast. It's like, ee, ee, you know, half a meter at a time. And I'm leaning over on this little plateau up under the ceiling. Mm-hmm. They put the wind machines on, they put stuff in the wind machine, and they say, action, I don't hear it, so I go, okay, get a kick in my ass. One of my colleagues are kicking me out from up there. <laughs> and I fall like a, I fall like a, a sack of potatoes, and uh, I survived it. And mm-hmm. the stock lady comes running, you know, when the sound goes down, screaming at me, what the fuck, didn't you have to move your arms, what the fuck? Let's do it again. I had to do it seven times. Oh. <laughs> and I, I, I died every time. But then I could put it on my my resume. You know, I could do high falls, high descending falls. There you go. But it takes me a lot. takes me a lot to... Uh, I always say yes because I'm a big fan of Hans Christian Andersen, one of our... The guy who invented the fairy tale, he wrote all yeah. 170 books, yeah. sold all over the world. His, his favorite word was yes. <laughs> then he could always say no, la- no later. Except, I'm a big yes man. I don't say no to anything, I say yes. <laughs> but then, many times, eight out of ten times, I regret I said yes. Why didn't you do that? Now you have to perform. <laughs> and you, you know, you can't, you can't do stuff, but. So I taught myself to hold in my my, uh, my phobias and my uh, self-esteem, you know, try to uh, put on an act. But I'm still the same shy kid, uh, you know, who when I, for example, I was, went to dance with my sister for 10 years. I was so shy, I couldn't dance with other girls than my sister. I was too shy to invite another girl uh, you know, to dance. So, anyhow. Yeah, well, saying yes seems to be a pretty good way to live, and you never know uh, if you can do something until you try. So that's definitely a great, great perspective there. Thank you. And we are yeah, so grateful yeah. you said yes to us. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was close to cancel it. I'm really, really glad you didn't. Yeah, really glad. That's this is amazing. Based on my based on my fear for the unknown. You know, I want to know, but then, you know, I had to kind of pull myself together and I do it in the end. I never push it out, but I've been close to it many times. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, hopefully you feel a little more comfortable and uh, maybe we can have you back sometime and uh, catch up when uh, Jackie O comes out and Loud the Deaf Guy and all the other stuff. So. And the book. Yeah, and the book. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for this book. It yeah. sounds amazing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited myself. And also, over the years, I've always been able to take pictures myself. So most of the pictures in my book are my own property. Oh, Even wow. though on movie sets you're not allowed to take pictures, they're always after you. The publicists are after you. Don't take pictures, don't take pictures. 
thousands of pictures and thanks for that because I have a lot of pictures oh, yeah. from movies I think you not, just I'm made it easier there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward I'm to that I'm there <laughs> anyhow great pleasure to talk to you guys I hope I didn't scare you too much with my uh, naughty stories but it's no. a part of life oh, we are human beings no it's I wonderful I I asked Maria Shriver many years ago about my confidence, how scared I was for going out for interviews. And she told me she had talked to her grandfather, you know, Joseph uh, Kennedy, what to do about it, because he has the same problem. And he said, you know, you just had to visualize we go into a room that everybody sits in their underwear. <laughs> uh, and that... And that helps me a lot because very often you go into the interview that sit ten people. One is eating an apple, one is on the phone, two other guys are talking to each other, so you feel like they pay no attention. So now I go out for interviews, I take over the room and I talk to the people there. Say, say how are you guys doing today? So I love your script. are you the director? Okay, so what do you want me to do? You know, I take charge. Instead of waiting for them to tell me what to do and that very often gave me jobs that I show confidence that way maybe my reading is shitty but I take I take charge yes excellent uh, also uh, regard regarding jobs I one day I went to uh, I was driving on uh, Pacific Coast Highway and I see a sign saying they're shooting Baywatch <laughs> so I said, so I said, wait a minute, I never worked on Baywatch. So in those days, I had a four-wheel drive Jeep. We're down on the beach, stopped one meter before David Hasselhoff jumped out of the car, the truck, walked up to uh, David, I never met him before. I said, hey, uh, my name is Wynn. I'm a, I'm a stuntman, an actor. I have a question for you. He said, what is that? I said, why have you ever, never hired me for being in Baywatch? <laughs> he said, you know, I, 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 you have a race with me, you have something, yeah, here's my stuff. So I ended up doing three episodes of uh, Baywatch <laughs> and two episodes of Baywatch Night. Yeah. And the first day I shot the first episode, I went up to David again and said, I have another question for you, David. <laughs> because everybody was running around in crew jackets with the Baywatch sign on it, <laughs> with their name on it. And I said to him, David, why don't I have a, a crew jacket? And uh, the next day I got a crew jacket made for me with my name on it. <laughs> That's awesome. So from so from being shy, which I still am, I'm not shy any longer. I yeah. pretend not to be shy, though. Excellent. And I have to ask, do you still have the jacket and do you still wear it around? Of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's, it's a nice jacket. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, wow. Well, we'll let you get back to your night. Thank Anyhow. you so much. <laughs> okay, anytime you guys are welcome back to your more sagas. Oh. There's oh, we... a lot of uh, store. Be careful, we will take you up on that. Anytime. Okay, it's... You, you guys have a good day at the uh, you as well, I hope Mr. I didn't scare you too much. No, oh no, not at all, Mr. Thorson. Thank you so much for joining us. It really is an honor, and uh, 
and we look forward to having you back. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. okay. Have, have a good. Have a, have, have a good day. Have a good night, sir. Good night. Thank you. <laughs> Lo- love and peace. Love Absolutely. and peace. So, yeah, we just talked to Sven Holthorsen. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, my God. I, I, I'm i not going to lie. I've got adrenaline rushing through me. I don't know if you You're guys You're shaking. <laughs> You're, like, buzzing. Uh, I, oh, I my mean, God. I, I don't know if you guys could tell. Every time I opened my mouth, I was like, I'm not worthy to talk to this man. Why is he talking We're to me on Skype? But yeah, uh, Sven obviously is just an amazing character, great storyteller. Oh my god! And I want to start a whole other podcast yeah. that's just stories by Sven. You know what? We may have a little spinoff thing going <laughs> on because uh, I, I don't know if you picked up on this. I, I think we might be best friends now. I think we are. Yeah. I think I think he basically invited <laughs> us to uh, to España to come. Uh, Smoke some Monte Carlos number twos and uh, yeah, Monte Cristo number twos, Monte Cristo. Uh, hanging out in his hacienda. I'm assuming, yeah, yeah, yeah. and play uh, with his dog. By yeah, the, way. the dog. How was proud are you of me for not asking a million questions about his dog? I am very proud of you. Thank you for <laughs> just letting him talk because I, I was just like, yeah, just, I, I'm just gonna be quiet, let him talk. Mm. Oh, oh, um, he's so amazing that I was speechless. <laughs> That's happened ever <laughs> that's, that's probably gonna go on his list of accomplishments right next to strongest man in the world 1984 yeah. shut izzy <laughs> up <laughs> so yeah thanks for listening uh hopefully you guys enjoy that and a oh, huge shout out to sven olthorsen uh, and his, his people wi- and yeah. his wife and everybody who made this happen shout out to you honey for making this happen yeah all it took was asking um and gentle nagging no <laughs> so you're saying nicholas yeah. cage we could just nag onto our podcast you know what uh, we may have to talk to his people uh um, joel hodgson from no. mst3k possibly uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Shue? Shue, <laughs> uh david robinson who knows uh it just it never hurts to ask oh my uh, god and can you believe we were able to lock the cats up for an entire podcast. That was the best part. I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> uh, But yeah, uh, so until next time, I'm Steve. And I'm Izzy. And Sven just disconnected on Skype. Uh, but this is Everything <laughs> I Learned from Movies. Everything I Learned from Sven Olthorsen. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.